Bless the Lord, and O oh my soul indeed. Pastor Steve, is there any truth to the rumor that you are lobbying the Olympic Committee for a gold medal in ice fishing to be included next, next Olympics so you could get excited about something there in the Olympics? He's a little, he's a little subdued about the hockey victory, I must say. But uh, I'm not subdued about it at all. Not because I recommend this book series or anything, but I did like the quote that Derek Landy threw into his book, Deathbringer, when he said this in a narrative. The fact is that we have no way of knowing if the person who we think we are is at the core of our being. Are you a decent girl with the potential to someday be an evil monster, or are you an evil monster that thinks it's a decent girl? And the response by the character is, wouldn't I know which one I was? No, is the response. The lies we tell other people are nothing to the lies we tell ourselves. That's the serious matter that Jesus addresses at the end of his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 7. Fooling ourselves about our athletic prowess or our or the skill of an opponent, or, or our net worth, or our visual desirability is common among us, but is not fatal. But deceiving ourselves about the state of our soul is a matter of eternal damnation. And this is an all-or-nothing matter of our lives, and Jesus lays it all on the line in his closing remarks to his Sermon on the Mount. The subject of the sermon, of course has been about the kingdom of heaven, what it is, the nature of its citizens, and really the question that's laid out for us at the end of the sermon is, are you in or are you out? So if your Bibles are open at Matthew chapter 7, I want to read uh, verse 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. These are the words of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would um, fully impress upon our hearts the meaning of this text. I pray, Father, that we might understand the gravity of it and that we might not dismiss anything but might hear very carefully what the Spirit of God is, is saying to us today. I pray, Father, that these words of Christ might resonate very loudly in our hearts and that we might see to it that we are truly uh, followers of Christ. I pray, Lord, uh, that you would help us to understand every nuance of this text so that nothing might go by us or escape us that we might make no excuses 
that we may not allow our ears to be dull and our hearts to be hardened. But in fact, Lord, I pray for soft, soft hearts today that will hear this carefully because eternity is on the line in these words. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is an odd way to end a sermon. We're used to uh, sort of the end of a story being, and they lived happily ever after. We're not used to hearing at the end of a sermon, and it fell with a great crash. But that's exactly the way this great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, ends. And then Jesus walked off the platform. In the matter about the honest truth of our soul, there is grave danger that we may be kidding ourselves, especially those who like to come to church. Self-deception is what Jesus is talking about here. Self-deception is the deadly enemy of authentic salvation. So insidious, Jesus in fact ends his sermon makes the big conclusion, brings to a climax his sermon around the area, around the issue of self-deception. It's the story of two houses. We used to sing that little chorus in Sunday school. I've forgotten it, but I remember we used to sing it. <laughs> the rains come down and the floods come up. The rains come down and the floods come up. The rains come down and the floods come up and we all, what, go tumbling down? No. It all comes crashing down. Hooper, do you know how to sing that song? Yeah, certainly better than me, obviously. Interestingly, this sermon is not, and the end of here in particular, is not addressed to classic enemies of God, but in fact serious fans of the things of God. This is written to those who choose to hear the words of Jesus. Whether you're foolish or wise, note it, it says these are people who are hearing the words of mine, Jesus says. Which means we're not talking about us and them. We're talking about us and them. We're talking about people who like to hear the good teaching of Jesus' truths, the words of Jesus. People who think Jesus' words are worth listening to, important to hear. He addresses the people who are so sure. People who probably have their names in church directories somewhere. This is the closing call on this great sermon. And by the way, this is um, the divine commentary really on the Old Testament Ten Commandments. The Decalogue. If you want to try and understand a further expansion of what God gave forth in Exodus and the, uh, the Ten Commandments, Jesus, the incarnate God, has come and has delivered in the Sermon on the Mount a commentary, a divine commentary on the, on the Ten Commandments. Which makes the continuity of the two Testaments intertwined. And what he is really saying in his closing comments here is make sure you are real. You might not be. 
he begins to uh, land the plane of his sermon from verse 13. Talks about entering through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Christianity is not broad, it's not wide, it's narrow. He continues on by saying, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. You can't tell by what they look like. Sometimes you can't even tell by what they say. But you can tell. By their fruit you will recognize them, by what they do. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear ba uh, bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And so he's talking about false teachers, and then he launches into good church people. Talks to evangelicals like us. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, he concludes it. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Well, let me just um, unpack for a few moments these other categories so we can lead up to our story of the two houses properly. He teaches three basic principles here. Number one, don't make superficial judgment based on outward appearances. Look deeper. Verse 15 to 20, the false teachers, the liberal theologians. There's nothing wide or broad about true Christianity. Culture's open-mindedness is misguided. Christianity is not open-minded. It's not broad, it's narrow. In fact, um, he gives some pretty dramatic words here. These things lead to destruction. These things lead to the fire. These things lead to banishment. These things lead to a great crash. Beware of false teachers. As Barclay writes in his commentary in Matthew, you can tell them from those who are true teachers. False teachers are only looking for gain or they're looking for fame or they're looking to perpetuate their own ideas but not God's ideas. And then he uh, tackles the evangelicals who say, Lord, Lord, have all kinds of miraculous things going on. Not everybody who say they are, are. In fact, um, did you notice that not everybody is in fact, not many are. Not all of us. Not even many of us. It 
signs and wonders in and of themselves are no proof of God necessarily. Satan is capable of signs and wonders. Enthusiasm, excitement, spectacular is not a substitute for genuine. The attention to God's truth. And he concludes it with this therefore in verse 24 by identifying the real problem. Being satisfied with resting on the blessings is fatal. There are many people in the um, church world, in the, and I'm talking about the evangelical church world because that's where Jesus really goes. There are many people who, who just love to be in the religious culture. They love to hang around with Christians. They, they like to come to church. It's a quiet, you know, it's peaceful maybe. It's quiet. It, it just makes them feel good about themselves. It's, it, it's just a, a nice place to be. Hear worship music, a good sermon. Enjoy the fellowship of kind people because we have to be nice to each other in church. If you get beat up out there in the street, you might get treated nicely in here. So some people just love to belong to the community. To benefit with the blessed. That's who um, we need to talk about today. To those who like the blessing of listening to biblical teaching. To those who are building a house. By the way, that's really a picture of building a life. We're all building a life. You're all here alive this morning. You're all building a life today. Jesus talks about it as building a house. You're building a house. And so we, we see here the key question that really comes out of here is, not is your house nice, but are you real? Are you the real deal? By way of this grand illustration, which is really obvious to us, I think, and easy for us to understand, Jesus identifies the true disciple. And this is the question that he puts out. When the storm comes, and it will, will your house stand or will it fall with a great crash? To the home builder, to the people connected to Christianity, to the people building a life around listening to the teachings of Christ. Interestingly, some people say that, that pressure makes you. Jesus here is teaching that pressure, in fact, reveals you. So you are either wise or you are foolish. And it's based on the way that you approach two things, choices and circumstances. Now, the choices are within your own power to, to make, to decide upon, but circumstances are not. Circumstances just come our way. Jesus is teaching here that you need to prepare by your choices for the circumstances that you're going to face. That's critical for our lives. And we're not talking about just a, 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 a you know, six-month span or a couple of years of, of, of res respite or a breather in our lives. But we're talking here about eternal things. We're talking about a life that stands eternally. 
That's why this is so absolutely crucial that, that we understand the seriousness of the matter here. And the choices, of course, are sand or foundation or rock. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. The circumstances are rain, flood, and wind. Those are the elements, the characters of the story we're going to look at. And the question that Jesus is asking here is, how are you building your house? Are you building it as a wise person or as a foolish person? Uh, but in particular, he's really asking the question, uh, what will you do with me? It's interesting here because Jesus lays out his divinity a lot earlier in his his earthly life than, than we're led to believe in terms of reading the Gospels. Uh, early in this sermon, Jesus makes no qualms about who he is. He equates the words of him to the words of God. He said, these words of mine. He talks about people saying, Lord, Lord, and he doesn't say, oh, don't call me Lord, Lord. It's not about me. It's, it's about the Father in heaven. No, he's accepting that as referring to him. So Jesus really establishes his divinity right here in the Sermon on the Mount, unequivocally, and then really asks the question, what are you doing about me? Is it all just Lord, Lord, my name, my words? Will I be the real Lord of your life or are you just borrowing credibility by hanging out with true disciples? by your religious activity will you really build on the solid rock Christ Jesus or choose shortcuts ignore the spiritual building codes that are laid out in the Word of God the seriousness is destruction the fire banishment fall with a great crash So we, we might be asking ourselves, or we might, we might have come to uh, the service this morning assuming that all of this should be obvious. It should, it should be obvious to us who's really in and who's really not. It should be obvious to us who's a real true disciple and who isn't a true disciple. Well, Jesus' sermon begs to differ. He said, that's the problem. To the visual, to your eyes, it's not obvious. In fact, he, um, he, he asks the question, how are you building your house? And then he gives the uh, descriptions. He, he makes the point here that, that until adversity hits, it's not obvious. In fact, the houses look the same. Our houses look the same. Our lives, for the most part, gathering in this church, Calvary Baptist Church, our lives, for the most part, visually look the same. Using the same raw material, listening to the same words of God. We have the same options. The same choices are available to us. Foundation, rock, sand. We're building in the same place. These two homes were built in the same place. They're not, he's not making the point that, that one person built near a hazard and the other person built a, a way back up in the, in the mountain somewhere. That's not the implication he's giving us here. He's saying they're building in the same place. They built both on dry ground. Now, if any of you have been to the, um, the Middle East, you'll know that, uh, that uh, 
climate and the, and, and the, the nature of, of streams and rivers and everything is quite different than here in Ontario. And in the Middle East, they have many, many, during various seasons, dry riverbeds called wadis. And these wadis can be dry for a long time. In fact, um, the last time I was in Israel, they were in, the, they were in a three-year drought. You might take to building your house near one of these wadis. But when the rain comes in Jerusalem, and I was there when it happened, some of you were with me, the rain from Jerusalem poured down on this very hard ground and poured into these riverbeds and streams and, and basically came across the roads in an instant. So the picture here is not building somewhere different. They're, they're both built in a hazardous place. In fact, the same circumstances are true of both of these houses. They both are going to face rain. They're both going to face floods. They're both going to face wind. We'll talk about those in a few moments as well. There's only one difference. The one house is built with a foundation on the rock and the other house is built with no foundation on the sand. And one crashes and one stands. It's very serious stuff we're talking about. So what are the hidden signs that can help us to understand and, and, and really analyze our own lives, to be self-critical of our own hearts and souls. This is crucial today. What are the hidden signs that, that you are foolish or building your life foolishly? That you are building your house on sand? Because it might not be obvious to you. But there are some signs. And the first one is this. You are building your life thinking you don't need a foundation. That's what obviously is the case with the foolish builder. The foolish builder thought, I don't need a foundation. I can just build this thing on the sand. It's hard. Sand becomes very hard and, br and br um, very hard when the, the, the water washes over it uh, and, and uh, um, moves the, the, the fine particles and then the sun bakes upon it for, for months or years perhaps. James Boyce identifies these two brainless mistakes, he calls them which is really a good translation of foolish. These are values of the culture that are trying to shape us. They push against us whether we come to church or not. The idea that there is no absolute truth in spite of what you hear in church. There are a lot of people who say, I don't, I don't really need a foundation. I'm not really convinced that there, there is absolute truth. And by the way, in every arena of culture, you are being... That, that idea is being imposed upon you, whether it be education or politics or religion or entertainment, with the exceptions of godly people who are trying to stem the tide in those various professions. But we are being pushed in every direction that it's, it's nice to be gracious and it's better to be ambiguous. Did you notice in verse 28 and 29 why it was that the people were amazed at the teaching of Christ? Was it because he was gracious and ambiguous? Hardly. 
Notice what, they, notice what the remark was when Jesus had finished saying these things. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the ones who were teaching with ambiguity. His words carry authority. They're not ambiguous. And the twin sister, of course, to post-modernity's no absolute truth is modernity's rebellion against established rights and wrongs by championing political correctness. That's the second brain-dead idea that's going on in our culture where you are building your life thinking any foundation will do. The one is no foundation, the other is any foundation. Uh, this, this individual said, I'll, I'll make the sand my foundation because it will be good enough. And besides, everybody else is doing it. Most of the people around are doing it. In fact, everybody's uh, kind of congratulating me because I'm so open-minded that I'm building my house on the sand. It's that kind of thinking, by the way, that has our Oshawa City Council turning an international sporting event and theme into a commentary on the way certain people engage in sex. Building the city house called Oshawa on sand for political correctness reasons. Building on a foundation that if we're, it were taken to its ultimate conclusion will end human civilization as a creation, as a created entity at all. So how, how is it that these people um, among us accept these two brainless ideas in their lives? Well, there's several, several reasons. One, um, it seems to me, is that when you hear the words of God, you are in a hurry in your life and settle for low cost, low commitment, convenience, taking every shortcut, bypassing the best building materials of spiritual disciplines for cheap religious sideshows. Something isn't necessarily happening in your life just because it's happening around your life. You don't grow in Christ by osmosis or by being in the right place. These two houses were in the same place. Transformation isn't um, like a cold that you catch by being with people. It seems that um, those who accept the idea that any foundation will do or no foundation at all is fine are the kind of people who find themselves resenting the preaching and teaching from the Sermon on the Mount in particular. As Martin Lloyd-Jones pointed out, that urges godly workmanship and building inspector examination of your lives and you leave saying, well, this is too grim, it is grim. The pastor was way too grim today. Shouldn't he be happy? All the gold medal stuff and everything. I am happy. This is me happy. I'm happy. I'm not unhappy. I'm delivering to you 
the straight facts as Jesus has laid them out here for us. The simple truth is the, the stakes of this are not fun and games. Going to hell forever is not fun and games. Th that's the stakes that we're talking about here. Imagine, imagine for a second that, that people who regularly came to Calvary Baptist Church might go to hell. Like it's the unthinkable to me as pastor. It's the unthinkable that people would gather to listen to the words of Jesus and end up eternally damned. And we're talking about how that happens. You hear building advice, but you forget it or intentionally choose to ignore it, believing that you can build it easier your own way. Decide biblical building codes are optional. Or you select the comfort of the blessing home builder classes bring, but Jesus only in small doses, as D.A. Carson points out. Not only no foundation, but no attachment to the rock, which is the starting point of all of this. The reason wise people build a foundation is because they are the real thing. They're rock people. So that's the tough news, but what's the good news about uh, you being a wise builder? Because I want to believe in my whole heart that you're, you're all wise builders. There's a difference between a foolish builder and a wise builder. Wise builders, it says, Christ says here, they put into practice the words of Jesus. This is not rocket science. It's really obvious. Not only do they recognize the value of attaching their life to the rock but, and, and do the hard digging to the bedrock, but, but they... Uh, they, they recognize that, that this is what they've been called to do is to be fixed on that rock. You see, um, on t there's the sand, but, but under that sand is the rock. The same rock available to both house builders. The one digs the foundation, takes God's word and puts it into practice. This is how you follow the Lord Christ. This is how it is. They demonstrate that they have first come to know the rock Christ Jesus by the grace-driven effort that they put into their lives to make sure that they are forming their house on the foundation and attaching it to that rock Christ Jesus. Christ has offered to us teachings that will enable us to anchor our house to the rock. That's the distinct difference here that that Built, willing to put the effort into high cost and inconvenience and energy and time and being uncomfortable and being unpopular and being opposed and being troubled and being persecuted. Whatever it takes to be loyal to Christ is digging that foundation that your life is attached to the rock, Christ Jesus. So you put that grace-driven effort into it. You are saved by grace, by the undeserved favor of God. You are sanctified by grace, but by grace-driven effort on your part. You can't work to belong to the blessed, but the blessed work. 
It's James teaching. Faith without works is dead. You can't passively sit and simply listen to what Jesus says and do nothing about it. That's building a house on the sand. If you're on the rock, everything above will be fine. But if you're anchored to the sand only, everything above looks fine. But it won't hold up. So let me wrap this up by making a commentary on the rain, the flood, and the wind so you understand what we're talking about in terms of the circumstances that will reveal the truth. If you're found on the rock, put the hard work into digging the foundation so your house will stand the coming storm. Incidentally, the rock and the foundation do not shield the house from the storm. You see that picture? Do you understand that? They don't. The circumstances are still permitted to come. This is critical in our lives. So he uses rain, flood, wind. Martin Lloyd-Jones gave me the idea here this morning I like. The rain is that are those common things in your life like illness job loss family crisis economic downturn death of a loved one friendship crisis and we could go on the common things that you are going to face the common circumstances that are going to buffet against your life they're going to rain on your house The flood are, are cultural pressures that continue to, to just mount around you and the swell keeps coming up as, as culture around you uh, continues to conform more and more to wickedness and we see everything that we ever thought was worthwhile being washed away and everything that we knew was right being called wrong and everything that we knew was wrong being called right and we see this flood around us coming up, these cultural pressures to conform and to choose the unreligious strategies of the people, unbiblical strategies of the people around us, and to fall prey to temptations. Is your house going to stand? It's not going to stand if it's only built on the sand. You're going to cave to those pressures. You won't be able to keep the, up the, the, the fight against the relentless pressure increasingly of the culture. It costs too much. It hurts too much. You're opposed too much. You're persecuted too much. You're troubled too much. You're inconvenienced too much. And then there's the wind. If that doesn't all get you, the wind's coming after you. Of satanic buffeting. Of doubts. Evil thoughts. Sudden urges to rage. Depression. And maybe, you're, maybe you've somehow self-deceived yourself and you're convinced that the rain won't come, the flood's not coming, and the wind's not coming. So my house on the sand is just fine. 
there is one final circumstance, and that is death. And it's coming to all of us. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. And Jesus teaches this while there is still time to embrace his teaching. But when death comes, that's it. If you're in a foolish house, it's going to fall with a crash. Destruction, fire, banishment, crash. Forever. If your house is built with foundation attached to the rock Christ Jesus, not rain, not flood, not wind, not death will shake that house. It will stand for all eternity. And Jesus holds out a choice before all of us today. All of us church people, because that's who he's talking to. Are you wise or are you foolish? It doesn't make a difference that you're church people. The difference is a foundation to the rock people. Our Father, this morning, as we understand your teaching, I pray that we will embrace the truth here and not excuse ourselves, not take this lightly. But, oh, Father, I pray that we will allow the Spirit of God to take a serious inventory of our hearts today to see whether or not we are real because our soul, our eternal soul, and its destination is on the line right now. So, Father, I pray that your rescue work will be experienced among us today, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Just before we turn our attention to our last, I want to turn your attention to two verses in the Scripture here that talk about the nature of this decision. Because the question is, how do I make sure I'm building as a wise person? I've heard you talking, and I think I got it, but I want to make sure you get it. In verse 25, it says, The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. It starts there. It starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And a true, authentic relationship with Christ will stand and will build the foundation. And here's how the foundation is built. Verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's not what you say you are. It's not how many church services you go to. It's not what you look like. It's whether or not you obey the word of God in your life. 
That's it. And so this morning as we sing this uh, great closing song together, I want to make sure that this is a time that is open for decision. If for some reason your heart is not firmly convinced that you're a wise builder building a foundation attached to the rock, then I want to invite you today to make that decision, to choose, choose the rock, Christ Jesus. Choose to no longer try and build your life on the sand, but rather build that foundation on the rock, Christ Jesus. I'm going to invite you to make the hard choice, the public choice, the one that's inconvenient and uncomfortable and all of that. And while we're singing, if you want to receive assurance today through God's word, through your faith in Christ, then you come forward this morning. You offer your life to Christ to be a wise builder so that today you can leave being sure you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Pastor Steve. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your truth. And I thank you that the Spirit of God convinces us of truth and moves our hearts to action. Oh God, I pray for these this morning who have stepped out to determine by faith to dig deeper than the sand and fix their lives on the solid rock Christ Jesus in whom they believe, oh God. I pray this morning, Father, that you would help us and strengthen us in this great enterprise of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we might never take for granted our salvation, but might take and respond to the riches of your truth and build our lives firmly by your grace in our lives so that the storms that come will fail to shake our lives because we'll be on the unshakable rock, Christ Jesus, for all eternity. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.